A lesson from the first letter of St. Peter the Apostle. Beloved, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in the time of visitation. Cast all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Be sober, be watchful, for your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering befalls your brethren all over the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself, after we have suffered a little while, perfect, strengthen, and establish us. To him is the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Continuation of the Holy Gospel according to Luke. At that time, the publicans and sinners were drawing near to him to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But he spoke to them this parable, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go out after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it upon his shoulders, rejoicing, and on coming home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I say to you that, even so, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, more than over ninety-nine just who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten drachmas, if she loses one drachma, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the drachma that I had lost. Even so, I say to you, there will be joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The saving words of the gospel. Please kneel for a prayer for vocations. Let us ask God to give worthy priests, brothers, and sisters to his holy church. O God, we earnestly beseech thee to bless this diocese with many priests, brothers, and sisters who will love thee with their whole strength and gladly spend their entire lives to serve thy church and to make thee known and loved. Bless our families. Bless our children. Mary, Queen of the Clergy. There are the following announcements. Uh, if you have any objects that you want to have blessed, please bring them back immediately uh, to, the, to the sacristy after Mass. Don't forget an ongoing project that we have of being inviting to people to come to Holy Mass with you and to go to confession. Uh, to bring them to devotions. There may be people out there who have a hard time getting around. Uh, if you can think of who they are, give them a call and invite them to come along. Or if you know someone who has maybe fallen away from the faith, reach out to them. Never underestimate the power of an invitation. They're so important. Uh, so many things throughout, throughout history have been accomplished, throughout the, the, the history of our salvation have been accomplished through the, the power of an invitation. You think about how those first apostles went up to the Lord after his baptism, and kind of blurted out you know, a question, Lord, where do you, where do you stay? Where do you, where do you hang out? And the Lord said, come and see. 
And it was that that eventually led them to Peter and to all the rest of the apostles at the beginning of the Lord's public ministry. Never underestimate the power of an invitation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We've come to the third Sunday of Pentecost, and so we are back in our green vestments. Green, of course, uh, traditionally being interpreted as a sign of hope. What is it that we hope for? We hope for eternal salvation. We hope that when we come to our judgment, after we have breathed our last and our heart stops beating, some of you who are young haven't figured out that that really is going to happen, but it really is going to happen one day. When we breathe our last and we go to our judge, then all of our lives are exposed and all of the, all of the obfuscations and so forth are put aside. Our eternal destiny will be decided. But because we belong to Holy Church, because we are members of the Lord's mystical person, because we have the help of the sacraments and the teaching of the Church and our disciplines and devotions and traditions, we have great hope that in that moment, that tremendous moment, we will be brought in and there will be great rejoicing rejoicing of all the saints and angels in heaven that we are there to help multiply before the magnificent throne of God his love and glory for eternity. This is what we hope for. Now, during, the, during Holy Church's liturgical year, we have great cycles. And you've heard this before from me, but I'll remind you of what, what's going on here. We have these great cycles of Advent and Christmas through Epiphany, and then we have Lent, you know, pre-Lent and Lent, all the way through Pentecost. And then there are a couple of additional feasts that we celebrate after the like Trinity Sunday. And of course, uh, Corpus Christi and Sacred Heart are all attached to that. But really that season begins, you know, ends with, with Pentecost. So we've got these great cycles. And during those cycles, we are called upon to reflect on certain mysteries that go, that are emphasized by those cycles. And then we come back into the ordered time of the year the tempus per annum, the time through the year. And what is it, I've always, as I've read this and I've read commentaries on, on the liturgical year and I've been celebrating it now for, for many years myself, I've always taken this time, I've always thought of this time as twofold, practically speaking, to help us put into action those elements that we have newly gleaned out of those mysteries that we celebrated in the great cycles, but also to prepare for doing so in a very pointed way to prepare for our death. Because this is about the end of the world. The, the orderly time now leads us up to the very end, the end of the season of Pentecost. Suddenly, as we get closer to the end of the season of Pentecost, all of the readings and so forth, the prayers, start to talk about the end of the world. And that's what the beginning of Advent does, too, so that they, book, they dovetail together. They're not quite like bookends. They're more like dovetails, the end of the year and the beginning of the year, because the readings are all about the end of the world. When the Lord will come, the world will be made in, unmade in fire, and Christ will take all things to himself and submit them to the Father so that God might be all in all. Now, we hear something of the end of the world today in our readings, don't we? What do we have going on here? For example, we have a very important word from the very beginning of Peter, 
He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the time of visitation. Visitation. A visitation in the ancient world was a formal visit by the ruler who would come in great majesty and pomp. And in those times, the visitor, well, the visitation being made, he would examine all things, look into every corner, and see how the gov- local governance was, or what's going on, or what the condition of the people were, and then deliver judgments and all the business that had to be done at the time he would do it while he's there. That's what a visitation is. A visitation could, you can imagine, you know, when it comes to a civil ruler, could be a pretty frightening ordeal. Well, if that kind of visitation requires a lot of preparation, imagine how people would scurry around and do all sorts of things to prepare. How much more should we scurry around in our lives preparing for the visitation that we are going to have when the Lord, either when the Lord comes, if we haven't you know, died yet, or when we die and we go to our personal visitation with the Lord, when he comes to us as judge as we are going to him in death? And so, from the very first green Sunday that we have now, we have this image of the visitation as a, con, as a, as a, as an, uh, a counterpoint to that. What else do we have here? Now, if, a visit, if in a visitation, the ruler, the just judge, as he is called in our readings today, the just judge, is going about, we also have another figure that's going about in this reading. The adversary, the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. The visitation of the Lord is to make us whole, to put us back together again. The visitation of the adversary is to rip us into pieces, scatter us, make us fragmented, both as individuals and as communities, whether it's a parish Imagine the work of the devil in a parish to divide people against each other. The work of the devil in a family to divide people from each other. The work of the devil in a nation, in the church. When there is disunity and strife, long-lasting. I mean, you know, not, we're not talking about like a you know, momentary argument or something like that. That's a, that's a, that's a, a crack in which the, the, the lion can get his claw to tear the wound open a little wider. So we should always be on guard about that. But when you see a long-term strife, when you see long-term confusion, that's the mark of the devil. It's not the mark of the just judge, the king of endless glory. And so even in this first, even in this very first reading that we have for Mass, we have the image of the one who goes around judging and healing, putting everything together, repairing all the problems, putting things to right, and then we have the one who's going around tearing and ripping with claw and tooth. In our gospel reading, we also have another, we have two other figures that are going around, don't we? We have the shepherd who has lost the sheep who goes out to look for it, right? Why? To repair the flock and put the flock back together again, right? And when he does that, there's great rejoicing. Then we have the image of the woman who has lost, you know, seemingly here, you know, a tenth of everything she owns, frankly. And she goes around the house searching for it. You know, I mean, every, I was, for a while I was in, uh, I, I had a really bad habit of losing my keys all the time. You know, have you ever lost, your, you know, you're in a hurry, you, you lost something, and you 
like run around like an idiot looking for this thing, right? So I finally got to a point where I put my keys in the refrigerator so that I would always know where they were. It's such a stupid place to put them that I never forgot where it was, right? Until I broke myself of the habit. You have to, in order to break a bad habit, you have to replace it with a good habit. And that takes a little time and work and a little ingenuity. But we can all do it. Now, we have, so we have this, this figure of the woman cleaning stuff, cleaning, cleaning, searching carefully, cleaning, until she finds this. She's in there sweeping away. I was just in a, at, at Acton uh, Institute's Acton University where I uh, lectured on St. Augustine. And um, there, there were uh, over a thousand people from almost 80 countries. And uh, I spent a, a couple of days hanging out with some uh, Israelis. Uh, two, of them were, uh, two of them were rabbis. I and mean, we were talking about really conservative, traditional rabbis. And we were talking about different practices that we have. And you know, he was describing to me how before Passover, they have to clean the house so they have to clean the house incredibly thoroughly. They have to get every bit of leaven out of the house before they can celebrate Passover. I mean, imagine what that's like, because, you know, if you've got kids like rabbis do, you, any house, any, any place where anyone has carried food, they have to clean to the point where they literally even take books off the shelf and go like that and dust them and clean them. Right? I mean, this is how thoroughly every corner, every nook and cranny has to be cleaned. Sometimes it takes two months or more to prepare for Passover by that kind of cleaning. You think about that diligence. Well, see, the Jews would have understood exactly this kind of imagery of you know, cleaning the house, sweeping the house, lighting the lamp. Lighting the lamp because not only it's dark in the house, but probably because the, the search continued day and night until that drachma was found. So we have the image of the... The shepherd going, we have the visitation, the ruler going around, the lion that goes around, the shepherd that goes around, and the woman going around and around in the house, around and around, sweeping, cleaning, putting a light there, looking. Is there a crack where that coin might have fallen and, you know, so forth? Well, in this green season, when we begin to think in a focused way over the entire summer now as we're moving into autumn. What is the message here? The lamp is your examination of conscience. The broom is the confessional. Why? Because there is a visitation coming and a lion out there. But there's also the shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord, looking for us and waiting to bring us back, trying to bring us back. And we have Holy Mother Church, the woman sweeping and sweeping and sweeping, looking for us. That light is your examination of conscience. That broom is the absolution that the priest gives when with his hand he sweeps those sins away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.